So Daniel chapter 2, please give your attention as I read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with the counsel and wisdom, uh, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, so he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is the dark in the darkness, and the light dwells on him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. 
Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another and a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom that shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. 
The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. That was quite a mouthful. But if you remember last Lord's Day, of course, we began our study through the book of Daniel. And if you recall from uh, the introduction that we looked at the book of Daniel, uh, we said we noted that Daniel is written in two separate languages. It is written in both Hebrew and Aramaic. And in fact, we even see it here in verse 4 as the, the astrologers come before the king and they say to him in Aramaic, and from that point on to the end of chapter 7, Daniel is written in the Aramaic language. But Hebrew, which is the language of God's people, is found in chapter 1 and then chapters 8 through 12. So as chapter 1 is sort of introductory to the entire book of Daniel and sets the stage for the rest of the book, chapters 8 through 12 provide or bring a message to God's people in the uncertain times in which they live in order to give God's people hope. So the last part of the book is written in the language of God's people to provide them with hope. But here, as we're going to see, we're going to enter into the Aramaic portion of this book, which was the language of the world at that time. And these chapters here, from chapter 2 through the end of chapter 7, give us a message to the world. A message from God to the world. And that message is this, that God is sovereign over the affairs of kings and nations. That is the message of these chapters. God is sovereign over the affairs of kings and nations. And in fact, in these chapters, chapters 2 through 7, there's sort of a Hebrew structure to them. It's called, in technical terms, it's called a chiasm. And it's, it's called that because of the Greek letter key, which is an X. But basically, a chiasm, what it does is it starts from the out and works its way into the middle. And here we see that the two outer chapters, chapters 2 and 7, give us visions of the coming world kingdom. So they parallel one another. The visions to, given to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 parallel the visions Daniel has in chapter 7 of kingdoms that will come in the world. Then chapters 3 and 6 show us God delivering His people from world powers. We see in chapter 3 uh, how, uh, at least we will see this, Lord willing, next week, how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from, uh, from the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar, and how in chapter 6, Daniel is delivered from the lion's den. And then in the middle, we see God's judgment on world powers in chapters 4 and 5, as we see Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, and how Belshazzar, uh, King Belshazzar, is judged by the writing on the wall in Daniel chapter 5. So you've got this structure here. All of this is giving messages to the world how God will deliver His people from world powers, how God will judge world powers, and how God is sovereign over the coming kingdoms of the world. So as we come into Daniel chapter 2, we're going to see God here is going to give King Nebuchadnezzar a dream that shows 
four kingdoms that will come after him. Now God is going to give this interpretation to this dream. God is going to give Daniel the wisdom necessary to understand the dream and to interpret it to Nebuchadnezzar. This is a wisdom that, of course, as we see here, Nebuchadnezzar's men don't possess. It is given by God to Daniel. And the message this morning can be summed up like this. Worldly kingdoms will come and go, but God's kingdom will have no end. That's the message of Daniel 2. Worldly kingdoms will come and go. God's kingdom will have no end. Well, again, as we start here in, Nebuch- uh, in chapter 2 here, uh, verses 116, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And it begins with another time marker, another kind of a way to set the historical setting for this passage. As we see in chapter 1, this, this, this event happens in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, which would coincide with the end of Daniel's sort of training that he received that we saw in Daniel chapter 1. This co- uh, uh, they sort of coincide with one another. So this is probably happening around 603 to 602 B.C. But more important than that is we see that Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. Literally in the Hebrew it says he dreamed a dream. And these weren't pleasant dreams. These weren't the sweet dreams that we wish on our children when they put them to bed. But these are dreams in which his spirit was troubled. And his sleep left him. So have you ever had dreams as you were dreaming in the night so real, so vivid that they woke you up in the middle of the night and left you in a cold sweat? That's what's happening to Nebuchadnezzar here. He is having these troubling dreams. He doesn't know what's going on. Now why does this matter? Why do we really care that Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams and had these bad dreams? I mean, everyone has bad dreams from time to time. Why do we care about this? Well, we care about it because it was a common belief in ancient days that the gods spoke to the people through their rulers, through their kings. So here, the idea being that from the Babylonian perspective, the gods of Babylon were speaking to Nebuchadnezzar so that this message can then be relayed to the people. Now we know from Scripture that God speaks to His people in dreams and visions as well. So the king here has a troubling dream and he can't sleep. So he calls for his wise men in verses 2-6. through Now these people here that he calls, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, these are all people that were trained in the arts and literature and religion of Babylon, just like Daniel and his friends were. These were the people who were the experts in, in how to interpret dreams and how to uh, read the, the, the signs of the Babylonian religion. In fact, these are the very people that we saw at the end of chapter 1 that Daniel and his three friends were ten times better than. And we'll see this come into play a little later. So the king here calls his wise men and says to them, help me to know this dream. And the wise men are sort of like, well, sure. Tell us a dream and we will give you the interpretation. Tell us a dream and we will go back to our books, we'll go back to our study, and we'll see what that dream means and we'll give you the interpretation. But here, the king throws him a bit of a curveball. He says, no, no, we're not going to do it the normal way. You need to tell me the dream first and then give me the interpretation or else. 
And he says, to emphasize this point, he says, the word from me is firm. In other words, I really, really, really mean it. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, bad stuff's going to happen to you. Now, the wise men here, they can't believe their ears. So they go back to the king in verses 7 through 11, and they're like, all right, uh, all right, king, <laughs> all right, stop joking, okay? You, you got to tell us the dream. That's how this works. You tell us the dream, we go back and we give you the interpretation. So none of this, you're going to turn our homes into ash heaps. Tell us the dream and, and we'll make it known to you. And the king doubles down on them. He says, no. In fact, he accuses them of stalling. He's like, you're just stalling for time, so I'll forget my demands. He says, no, you need to make the, the dream known to me and then give me the interpretation as well. Now, this is interesting because the king here places upon his wise men a test to see whether they're really as wise as they say they are. In other words, if you are as good as you say you are, if you are the wise men and the astrologers and the soothsayers of Babylon, you ought to be able to do this. You ought to be able to tell me the dream and its interpretation. And the wise men go back to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, no one can do this, O king. No one can tell you the dream that you had unless you make it known to us. No one can show it to the king except the gods. And they're pretty much almost all 100% right. So Nebuchadnezzar gets angry and basically says, off with their heads, right? You guys are, okay, that's it. Done with you. I'm done with you. Kill them all. Maybe a bit of an overreaction from Nebuchadnezzar, but he's the king. What do we have to say about it? Kill them all! That's what King Nebuchadnezzar says. And this news of this reaches Daniel's ears in verses 12 through 16, where we see now Daniel, as Arioch comes, Arioch, of course, comes to the door, knocks on the door, and says, Daniel, are you there? And he's like, Of course I'm here. And he comes in, of course, he's got his swords and everything, and Daniel's like, What's up here? You know, slow down, slow your roll here, Arioch. What's going on? And Arioch, the king's guard, makes known the situation to Daniel. And Daniel's like, I need to talk to the king real quick. And Daniel says, King, I, you know, give us a little bit of time and I'll give you the interpretation. So now, as we see here, God is going to reveal the dream to Daniel in verses 17 through 30. So now Daniel takes this dire news to his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and says, Houston, we have a problem. We have a dream that needs to be known to the king and its interpretation or else we're all going to die. And that's what happens in verses 17 and 18. Daniel went to the house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So Daniel having been told by Arioch, knows the impossibility of the king's request. The king's request is, you need to tell me my dream, and you need to interpret it. And Daniel knows that's impossible. But he also knows that with God, all things are possible, right? With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Daniel and his three friends then hold an emergency prayer meeting to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. 
So instead of consulting the wisdom of Babylon in which they were trained, right? They were so good at it, they were ten times better than all the other wise men. But instead of consulting the wisdom of the world, instead of consulting the wisdom of Babylon, they go to the God of heaven, whom they know can reveal the dream and its interpretation. And that's exactly what God does in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God answered Daniel's prayer. Daniel prayed, revealed to us the dream, and God revealed the dream to him in a vision. Now, of course, we can draw all sorts of application from this, right? Note how Daniel's first response was to go to God in prayer. Something we all need to do and all need to be reminded of from time to time, right? To go to God in prayer as the first response, not as a last resort. But also, just as important as how Daniel, after his prayer was answered, blessed the God of heaven. Answering to prayer, when, when you pray to God and God answers that prayer, that ought to invoke praise to God for answering the prayer. And that's exactly what we see Daniel do in verses uh, 20 through 23. So Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him. I thank You and praise You, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of You, for You have made known to us the King's demand." So Daniel praises God for the answer to his prayer and and notes some of the themes here in this sort of praise, this doxology that he gives forth. First, he praises God for who He is. He is the One who is forever. He is the One to whom belong power and might. Secondly, he praises God for His sovereign control over all things, times and seasons, Kings and kingdoms, right? God is the sovereign over the seasons and the times. The seasons move and change because God is in control. Kings and nations come to power. They rise and fall because God is in control. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Those who are wise and those who have knowledge are are so because God who is in control gives them that wisdom. Gives him that knowledge. And he is to be praised and blessed because he is the one who reveals secrets and the deep things. So now, armed with this God-given wisdom, Daniel now is ready to go see the king. And we see that in verses 24 and 26. Daniel pleads with Arioch to not kill the wise men. He says, hold off. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream. So Arioch, in haste, in, in, in a rush, he hustles Daniel into the king's presence and tells the king, 
Hey, king, you know those Jewish exiles that we have here? Well, I found one who can interpret your dream. Notice how Ariak kind of takes a little bit of credit here. He wants to get like maybe a finder's fee for finding a guy who can interpret the dream. I found a guy here. I did it, king. Just remember me. Just, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about me, remember me kindly. I found someone who can interpret your dream. So Daniel comes before the king and the king presents him with the same challenge that he presented to the wise men of Babylon. He says, tell me the dream and its interpretation. And I love Daniel's response uh, to the king in verses 27 through 30. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have, been, I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. I mean, it would have been very easy for Daniel to say to the king, you need to know the dream? You betcha, I can tell you the dream and I can give you the interpretation. And had Daniel done so, he would not only have refuted the king's wise men who said, no man can tell the king his dream and the interpretation, he would have then also elevated himself above all the wise men of the country. But had Daniel done so, he would have taken God's glory for himself. And that's not what Daniel does. Daniel puts himself in the same class as the court magicians. It's like, no man can show you the dream, not even me. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. And moreover, this mystery revealing God has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. In other words, the God of heaven isn't just someone who knows these secrets. He is the God who also shapes the future, who ordains the ends and the means because God is sovereign. Now, just a couple of things before moving on. That phrase, latter days, can simply mean days after King Nebuchadnezzar, or it can include the entire scope of history after King Nebuchadnezzar until the last days. And here, notice two second that the vision was given to King Nebuchadnezzar so that he would know that there is a God in heaven who controls not only his fate, but the fate of all world history. In history, his, uh, his own wise men were unable to discern despite all of their wisdom and learning and knowledge. That God here is the one who is in control and He is revealing this information to, to Nebuchadnezzar. So now let us look as Daniel interprets the dream in verses 31 through 45. So just as King Nebuchadnezzar requested, Daniel reveals the contents of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in verses 31 through 35. Now we've seen this passage in other contexts. 
But the, here, the, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has is of this great image. Think of a large statue. And it was a brilliant statue. It was a frightening image of a statue composed of four different types of metal. You have the statue's head was made of gold, its chest and arms made of silver, its hip and its thighs made of bronze, and its legs and feet of iron, and the toes were iron mixed with clay. And a couple of things to comment on the vision of the statue. First, notice how the value of the metals decreases as you descend from the head to the feet. You have gold, then silver, then bronze, and then iron. But also notice how the strength or the hardness of the metal increases as you go, right? Gold is soft, silver, bronze, iron is hard. And one way to understand this could be that the decreasing value may signify a moral decline as you move from head to chest to hips to legs and feet. But the increasing strength may signify an increasing severity or an increasing dominion as you move down as well. But more important than the image of this statue that Nebuchadnezzar has is this image of the stone this stone that is cut by no human hands, this stone which is dwarfed by this great image, right? This great image is huge. A stone is a small rock. And the stone then strikes the image on its weakest point, its feet of clay. And then when the stone does this, this causes the complete demolition of the entire statue until nothing is left, right? He even says that it becomes dust, like chaff that is blown away by the summer wind. It kind of reminds me as you know, like the chaff that gets spit out of the back of a combine as you're harvesting the field. That's kind of like what the kingdoms of this world would become as this great rock strikes the image of these kingdoms. And then this rock then becomes a great mountain which then fills the whole earth. So now Daniel has successfully told the king his dream. Now he moves on to the interpretation in verses 36-45. to And again, if you've been with us through any of our study through Revelation, you know that the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream here is that there will come four successive kingdoms, four world empires that shall have dominion over the earth. And the traditional interpretation of these kingdoms is this. The golden head is Babylon. It is King Nebuchadnezzar. And we see that explicitly told to us in the text, right? Daniel says, you... O king, are the head of gold. Then we see the silver chest and arms, which many believe this is the Medo-Persian Empire, which comes after the Babylonian uh, Empire. We see this one later revealed in Daniel. The bronze hip and thighs uh, are Greece, which is also revealed later in Daniel. And then the iron legs and feet, which are not revealed in Daniel, but many scholars and commentators believe this is the Roman Empire, which comes after all of them. But we need to note that here, in this passage here in chapter 2, as far as our passage is concerned, the only kingdom that is revealed to Nebuchadnezzar is that he is the golden head. And the point of the passage isn't so much to identify these other kingdoms as it is to show the goal of world history. Remember, what Daniel said to the king is that the God of heaven has revealed to you, Nebuchadnezzar, the events that will unfold after you. What will happen in the latter days? 
In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar may think he's all great and mighty, that he's this great king who built this great empire, but there is a God in heaven who holds all of the kingdoms in his hand. And that's what God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know. It's like, I am the God of heaven who controls all of these kingdoms, including yours. In fact, notice how in verse 37, how Daniel addresses the king. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, the king of kings, and notice this, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Right? Nebuchadnezzar, you may be a great king. You may be the king of kings. But guess what? The God of heaven has given you this kingdom. You are in His hand. You wouldn't be king if it weren't for God giving you the kingdom. And another thing that God wants King Nebuchadnezzar to know is that there is a coming kingdom. One that is not of this world. One that will destroy all the kingdoms of the earth. And even though this dream here is told of four coming kingdoms, they are really all part of one statue. Remember, notice, they are all one statue. The kingdoms of this world, for all their differences, are all kingdoms of this world. As such, they will rise and fall. They will come and they will go. But the kingdom of God stands above them all. It is, a, it is a kingdom established by God. It will never be destroyed. It will, it will destroy all of its competitors and wipe them away until there is nothing left. There will be no memory of these other kingdoms. But it starts off small. It starts off as a stone. But it grows as large as a mountain. And this references a prophecy that Isaiah told in Isaiah chapter 2 where he says, it shall come to pass in the latter days, latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. The kingdoms of this world will all try, but they will never succeed in ascending to greatness. Right Again, notice how the, statue, the value of the statue decreases as you go from top to bottom. So they try to ascend to greatness, but will never ascend to greatness. King Nebuchadnezzar's dream suggests the opposite of decay and degeneration and devaluing as you go down the way. But on the other hand, God's kingdom is eternal. It has no end and it is indestructible. And it destroys all the kingdoms of this world. Well, finally, let's look here at how Nebuchadnezzar honors Daniel in verses 46 to 49. King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is impressed, to say the least, and honors Daniel for his ability to make known the dream and its interpretation. In fact, he bows to Daniel and orders that an offering be made on Daniel's behalf. And he goes so far to even honor Daniel's God. Though we shouldn't think that Nebuchadnezzar has become a believer uh, at this point. But King Nebuchadnezzar now promotes Daniel, making him ruler over all the province. He has told the dream and he's made known the interpretation. doesn't matter what that dream means. Nebuchadnezzar is just relieved to have that dream told to him and interpreted to him. So he promotes Daniel. He makes him ruler over the province of Babylon. 
And of course, Daniel, being a good friend, puts in a good word for his friends. It's like, can you also honor my three friends as well? And Nebuchadnezzar says, yes, we'll honor your friends as well. Now again, it can be tempting to wrap this up by trying to find ways to follow Daniel's example. And we should be ready, right, in every situation to make prayer and petition to God. When we were faced with a dire situation, Daniel's first uh, response was to get on his knees and pray to God. And that should be our response too when something bad starts to happen. We shouldn't complain. We shouldn't moan. We should get on our knees to God and pray that God will relieve the situation. And we should also, like Daniel, seek to honor God always, right? Note again how Daniel didn't take credit for any of this. He said, God made this wisdom known to me. And now I make it known to you because there's a God in heaven who has revealed this to me to make it known to you. In the same way, every good and perfect gift comes from God above and whatever we do is done in the power and provision which God has given to us. But again, the bigger lesson that we see here is that God is in control. God is in control. Worldly kingdoms are going to come. That's the vision. They're going to come. All these world empires, they're going to come and they're going to eventually, as we'll see, they will oppress God's people. They will come and they will seem fierce and they will seem destructive. But these world kingdoms, they come and they go. But God's kingdom, which will come, has no end. And God's kingdom will destroy all of the kingdoms of the world. Now it's easy, of course, on Sunday while we're in church here, in our Sunday best, to say God is in control and we can say amen and go home and rejoice in that fact, but it's much harder to live out Monday through Saturday, right? (laughs) Much harder to live out that truth that God is in control Monday through Saturday. I say this to my own shame because it can be so easy to get caught up in the world events and the current events of the world today to watch CNN or Fox News and get all angry at everything that's going on in the world today and to want to throw the remote at the TV even. Don't do that. Don't throw the remotes at the TV. I've done that. Don't do that. It's very easy to lose sight of this one simple truth. Again, I keep saying it, but God is in control. God is in control. And we need to remember that our identity, and we need to remember our identity and our true citizenship. We may be U.S. citizens, right? But our true citizenship, if you are in Christ, is in heaven where the Father and His Son are. So our hope is not in God bless the USA. Our hope is not in the Republican Party. Our hope is not in the Democratic Party. Our hope is not in Donald Trump. Our hope is not in Joe Biden. Our hope is not in Make America Great Again. And our hope is not in Build Back Better. Worldly kingdoms, including the United States of America, will come and go. The United States came and it's going to eventually fade. We see it happening in front of our faces today. And the history of the church has seen the rise and fall of many kings and nations. Think of how the church has survived, right? Even if you just consider the church of Jesus Christ going all the way back to the first century. How many kingdoms have risen and fall since the days of Jesus Christ? 
the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, the you know, British Empire, the Spanish Empire, the French Empire, the German, all of them have risen and fallen. The church has survived. The church is the kingdom of God and it has survived all of this. Our hope is not in the nations of the world. Our hope is in God's indestructible kingdom which has no end. And we see that kingdom here represented as a small stone that still is able to shatter the kingdoms of the earth. And of course, the king of that kingdom is none other than Jesus Christ. And we see in Luke's Gospel that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. In the parable of the vineyard owner and his tenants, when Jesus tells that parable, it's the one where he lets out a vineyard to some farmers, and the farmers refuse to give their, their allegiance to the, to the owner of the vineyard. So the vineyard owner sends messengers, and they abuse the messengers, kill the messengers, and then finally the king sends his son, and they, the vineyard owner is like, Finally, the son, we can kill him, and then the vineyard will be ours. And in Luke chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, we see, but then he looked directly at them, the Pharisees, to whom he's saying this parable. He says, what then is that that is written? He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus referring to Himself as the stone that will crush everything that falls on it is a reference back to Daniel where it crushes all the kingdoms of this world. The stone that the Pharisees rejected became the chief cornerstone of a great temple made without hands and which will crush those who rejected Him. The church, the kingdom of God, is a kingdom which will not be overcome. So thus, if you are in Christ by faith, having confessed and repented of your sins, and having placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, then it doesn't really matter what the world throws at you, right? God is in control. You can rest in that truth. It doesn't matter what's going on in the kingdoms of the world because our King is in heaven. It's a great place for an amen. Our King is in heaven. Amen. Your heavenly Father is in control and your King Jesus has overcome the kingdoms of this world. So therefore, while we are in exile in our own form of Babylon, let us take comfort in the fact that no matter what the world throws at us, we can take our cares to God in prayer, trusting Him to protect and deliver us because again, God is in control. Worldly kingdoms will come and go, but the kingdom of God will have no end. Let us pray.